Hello, PodFam, and hello, Rachel. Hi, Laura. How are you doing today? I am good. How are you? I am good. I've got my peppermint tea with me here today. It has been steeping for about 30 minutes, so nice. you know it's like perfect. Yeah, when it has that little bit of like an icy flavor to it, oh, that's good peppermint oh, tea. It's so good. Any tips on how long you should brew herbal tea? I just toss it out the window. Oh, for sure. Me too. If it sits there for an hour, that's okay. That's the perfect tea. Yeah, and really because like with herbal teas, they're usually a lot more dense than like your green Mm -hmm. tea. So especially if you have something where it's uh, spice or like cinnamon, you really do need to steep it for that long so you get the full flavor. You know, Mm -hmm. two minutes is just not going to work on something like that. It's just slightly flavored water at that point. Yeah, and it's never going to go bitter, so really you can't go wrong. Nope. So peppermint tea for the win. Excellent. But what are you having today? Because I know you're having something a bit exciting. Yes. Okay, I mixed it up today. I'm not having tea. I am having a Canadian-style frappuccino. What is that? Because I'm still not entirely sure. Okay, so my boyfriend and I, we are part of this like beverage sample program. So every few months, we will be sent different alcohols and just little sample bottles. So I actually Mm -hmm. got one the other day, and it's called Cabot Trail Maple Cream. Interesting. Yes, so it's like a coffee liqueur, and it came with this little recipe. So of course, you know, I had to try it, and it's the maple cream. Mm -hmm. Um, I used oat milk, so it's like four ounces of oat milk, Mm -hmm. and- I went to Tim Hortons specifically for a decaf coffee since we were doing nice. this at night and nice. um, then some ice cubes and you just throw it on a blender and it just kind of comes out like a cold brew coffee. I also did a splash of chocolate oat milk. It was calling for chocolate flakes, but like who has chocolate flakes in their house? I certainly don't. I don't really know what chocolate flakes are. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well. That's in there's... the that's in the baking section, which I only go to during Christmas, so – yeah, I feel like you got to get the baking chocolate and like your cheese grater out and you know. Yeah. I don't have that. So so I went with some some chocolate oat milk just to give it a little bit of a chocolate splash. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty good. You know, I I like it. If I saw this in uh, in the L, I'd definitely like pick it up especially around like Christmas time when I do drink more coffee liqueurs. Mhm. So 10 out of 10. I like it. 10 out of 10. You got to keep that for like Christmas time because that literally sounds like the perfect Christmas morning drink that you have at breakfast. Yeah. And I think what I would do differently, because obviously like wintertime, I'm not drinking cold coffee. I'm actually not Mm -hmm. a huge like cold brew fan because you can attest to this. I'm very much someone who is like hot foods and drinks are hot and cold foods and drinks are cold. Don't really like to swap them. I'm the one person who doesn't like cold pizza. I hate cold pizza. Thank you. People like cold pizza? Yeah. It's like a huge thing. I don't get it. Ew. Don't get it. Yeah, no, it's just wrong. Heat that shit up. Yeah, if you love cold pizza, I accept you, but I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, it's just not for me. So I think for like a winter drink, I would probably do like this liqueur with like a frothed milk and mm-hmm. coffee. That sounds delicious. More of a latte style. But, you know, for, for a hot summer evening, this is a pretty good drink. Yeah. Fun fact, guys, is I knew that Laura was going to have a beverage this evening, and I thought that she meant that she was going to have a beverage beforehand with dinner. So I was like, okay, I'll have a beverage too so that we'll both be, you know, riding the same same fun wave. And uh, I was very wrong. (laughs) So 
I've already had my beverage, which was some wine, but I love that you're having your beverage now. I know. Here I was like meticulously making this beautiful drink and mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, I already drank my wine. And I was just like, oh, I was saving this. Yeah. So needless to say, miscommunication for sure. And now I know that next time we need to specify when the drink is being had. Yes. I was actually on my way to Cairo at the time when I texted you that because yeah. I thought it would be such a great idea. Yeah. And oh man, I know this is like coming out after our natural health episode and I had my chiropractor appointment really need an adjustment mm-hmm. and this is the chiro guy who also does a bit of acupuncture mm-hmm. and he was like hey do you want to try something new like on you and I'm like okay sure so I don't know what it's like actually called but it's a technique with the needle where they thread it through your muscle oh what? yeah don't cringe don't cringe oh. um, so I was like yeah let's do that and you know I was just like okay how bad could it be and it's one where he – so he went in, like they go in a bit sideways and he wiggles mm-hmm. it in and it doesn't mm-hmm. stay. It's not like your typical needle that they would leave it for a few minutes. It's literally like an in and out mm-hmm. type of thing. So there were some pretty tender spots. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> he's like putting it in. I'm trying to sit there so still. And he's mm-hmm. like, how you doing, Laura? I'm like, I'm fine. It's fine. <laughs> and he's like, like I'm good. Like, <laughs> he's just like, are you sure? Like it's not too much. I'm like, it's fine. Just do it. <laughs> um. You're like, I might cry later, but I won't cry in front of you. There could be a single tear rolling down my cheek at the moment, but I'm fine. I can do this. It's Um, all good. Yeah. It's one of those things that like hurts in the moment and then you're like a little sore after. But once Mm -hmm. that soreness goes away, like you really do feel fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then came the next part where he was just doing like the traditional needles that stay in for a few minutes. And Mm -hmm. he's like, hey, do you mind if I hook up the electrodes? I was like, okay. He's just using you for experimentation now. (laughs) Yes. And these are tried and true methods. These were just the first time like they were ever being done on me. So he wanted to make sure. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. He's like, I know this girl. This girl likes to try new things. So he's like, you want to do this? Yeah. He's like, I want to bring up the fun stuff with you. Yeah. He's not even like taking it one session at a time where he's like, okay, let's introduce this one. He's like, let's just hit her with all of them right at once. (laughs) Right. And so I had the needles in and he put the little electrodes on. And he's like, okay, it's going to start with this shoulder, this shoulder, and then like all the other spots I had done. And it's kind of like a little heartbeat and your whole body just kind of like twitches. Yep. (laughs) And it doesn't hurt. It's just a weird sensation. It's not a painful one. Mm -hmm. And I asked him like, okay, how long do I stay like this? And he's like, oh, 10 minutes. And he kind of like, he walked out of the room really quick, but came back and he's just like, since it's your first time, I'm just going to sit with you just in case you want to stop. And yep. I was just like, oh, God, he thinks I'm a flight risk. <laughs> and there were times where I was just like, it was kind of weirding me out what was happening. And then, um, like, he's a friend of my boyfriend's, so then we just kind of got chatting and I totally relaxed and the 10 minutes went by really quickly. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, if you do acupuncture, that's a cool one to try. So after I left, my shoulders were like, I could barely stand, stand up straight. <laughs> I was like, my muscles were just completely done because what the electrodes do is they – they almost like work out your muscle yeah, and then it just releases. Um, mm-hmm. So my, my, my arms, I like couldn't even get my arms up above my head, I swear, after the treatment. And oh I'm starting to feel pretty good now. I am like a little bit stiff mm-hmm. and I'll probably be a little bit stiff tomorrow. But um, I'm excited to see what the results are after this because I really was having a hard time with my neck. Just sitting at the computer all the time, I'm just noticing a little bit more strain. So hopefully this works. 
Yes. We might have to do a natural health part two at some point because I finally got in to see the osteopath. Oh, awesome. I'd love to learn more about that. Yeah. To be honest, I still don't fully understand it. Like so far, it feels like a mix between massage and chiro work kind of thing because there's a lot of massage happening, but then they are like adjusting you in some way. But I kind of started going for my headaches. So they're doing a lot of cranial work and I leave feeling like an absolute noodle. Yeah. Okay. So Dr. T was kind of doing the same thing on me uh, with my neck. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's kind of funny how they all overlap. Yeah. Like, you know, when they put their fingers like right at the base of your skull and just hold it there for a bit, I just leave the planet. I'm not around anymore. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, okay, gone. But I feel like we diverted a bit from what this episode is actually about. I know. I was almost like tempted just to change the topic of the episode because we're already going down so many different paths. I know. We're actually going to be doing something new. But I guess maybe it could kind of fall under our career theme. Yeah, it's like a career lifestyle topic today. Yeah, let's just toss it under there. So today we're going to be talking about the top five financial lessons that we've learned. And um, as two millennials, there have been many. Oh, yes. So literally it is the top five because one of our tips actually overlapped and Laura was like, oh, okay, I'll just sub in another. She just <laughs> she just had another available. She was like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm also a finance nerd. So like I just keep yep. a little Rolodex of financial tips at the back of my mind at all times, just in case, you know, someone needed yep. to be hit with a financial fact. Yeah. Her projector is going to shine through today, I think. Oh, I'm chomping at the bit here for it. Chomping at the bit. So – The first tip that we are going to start with is one that we actually shared, and maybe you'll word it another way, but how I word it is, don't use money that you don't have. This is key. So I kind of worded this a little bit differently, but we are going to overlap. And the thing that we're talking about is credit cards. And really, this could also extend to lines of credit, student loans, really anything to do with using money that is not physically yours because that can be a dangerous route. Yes. So where this lesson stems from for me as my first experience with it, and maybe it's the same for you, but do you remember those student credit cards that were like $1,000? Oh, yes. I got one, I think, when I was about 18 years old. Yeah. So I had one in university. And let me tell you, I bought a lot of things in university that I should not have purchased because I did not need them, nor did I have the funds for it. And I would just do that thing where I would max out the credit card and just pay off enough to buy the thing that I needed to buy. And then it would just be back at around the $1,000 limit mark. I did the exact same thing. I treated – well, actually, okay, when I first got the card, I was really good. I also lived in a small town. So – I would make a purchase and then like transfer the money over. However, yes. when I went to university, you know, my house that I was living in, uh, right by a shopping mall, my school, yeah, right by a shopping mall. So yep. it was kind of like the overwhelm of having options for shopping. And you know, you wanted the cool wardrobe and like all that. So I got a little bit overwhelmed with that. And that's when my credit card became a gift card. Yes. And that's the one thing about living in that city, especially when you came from a small town, 
it's hard to figure out what you like doing in a city. So fun starts equating to spending money. Yep, like going out, especially when you start going to bars or other places with friends. Yeah, this one is tough because I've definitely gotten better as I've gotten older because one, once I had a more secure job, you kind of get a card that has a bit more of a larger balance, which kind of helps because you're not using up as much of your credit utilization, which one of my favorite influencers, Patricia Bright, talks about a lot where she's like, a good recommendation. Don't use 95% of your credit utilization. Use like 15. Yes. But I just, I really had to learn that even though I'm like, oh, well, I have room on my card for it. I could just buy this pair of shoes or I could just buy this cute jacket or maybe I could buy those concert tickets. It's like, okay, but you know, you have your other expenses. You have rent, you have food, you have transportation. If the money coming in can't cover that purchase within that month, then it's just kind of like maybe just save up some money. And then if you still want it in three months after you saved a bit, then go for it then. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. You know, um, we do live in a society of instant gratification. So I think we do get a little bit wrapped up in that sometimes. And, you know, like you said, you've got to pay off your credit card. And when you're in your teens or your early 20s, your credit score doesn't really seem like it's that important. But the thing is, if you want a mortgage, if you want more credit cards or loans, they are going to start looking into that. And you do want to make sure you are, you know, at the very minimum, making the minimum payment. However, with that, credit card interest rates are at minimum 20% and usually 25%. So if you are only paying the minimum, you're actually not paying any of your principal balance Mm -hmm. and you're not actually getting yourself out of debt. You're really just coasting along with the bank. And what is happening is you're becoming their favorite customer. So they're going to see you as someone who is always hitting their max on the credit card and you never seem to be able to pay anything down. What is the bank going to do? they are going to increase your credit limit. Yeah. And that way, now you have a whole, like let's say you went from 1000 to 5000 Now you have 4000 extra dollars to get yourself in trouble with. Yes. And then the bank is just going to keep charging you more and more interest and you're going to get more and more in debt. Yes. That's like a tricky thing with raising your balance as well. Say you kind of average where you spend $500 a month on your credit card right? When it's at that $1,000 limit, it's like, okay, that's taking like up 50% of the credit available to you, where if they increase it to 5,000, it's a much smaller percentage. But then when you're kind of in a habit of looking at it like a bit of a gift card, then that spending just increases, you know, you might, exactly. it might go and- from 500 because you have a $1,000 limit to 3,000 because you haven't set those boundaries with yourself of like, no, I don't have these funds available to me. Yeah. So it's really important to be honest with yourself because if you can't trust yourself not to touch those additional funds, Mm -hmm. you're just going to max out that credit card as well. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to spiral and it will take you a long time to get out of this debt. And the thing about a credit card, the purpose of it is to buy you a little extra time. Okay, so 
it's not extra money. It's just flexibility. Mm -hmm. So if you are someone who can pay off their credit card on each statement, then that's perfect for you because essentially you are then using free money and then you're replacing that free money. You're not paying any interest. But if you're caught in that spiral of always using the credit card, never getting the balance down, then you are just becoming a great bank customer Mm -hmm. and you don't want to be a great bank customer. You want to be a deadbeat bank customer. And what that is, is someone who is always paying off their limits and never being charged interest. Okay. The banks hate you, but you are an amazing person for being a deadbeat. Yes. Laura arrived ready to teach today. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. She's been so excited. When we said we were going to talk about finance, I was like, fuck yeah, we're talking about finance. She's been so excited about this episode, (laughs) like all week. And I don't know. It's so fun to like hear you and your element. Oh, thank you. I didn't even write notes down. I literally went like one, two, three credit card, and then the other two points I'm going to talk about. Yes. And like maybe was ready. maybe you can jump off of this a bit, but this was a habit that I fell into, especially with, when I was in school was I was, you know, taught by the bank that, oh, if you make your minimum payment, it won't affect your credit score because you're still, you know, paying it off. You're making your payments. But how do you think that mentality affects young people? Because it's like, yeah, I'm making my minimum payment, but I still got on here that I can't even see myself paying off for a year because I'm in school. So all my money has to go to rent or food or... That is such a great point of view to bring up because yes, if you are making your minimum payments, technically it's not affecting your credit score. However, your credit score, it's not like a yes or a no. It's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone who is carrying that $900 balance on a $2,000 card, your credit score might be in like a 500, 600 range, which is good. There's nothing wrong with that. However, if you want to be on the excellent scale, you're over 800, usually over 820. And where that kind of calculation comes out is, like you were saying before, the credit utilization rate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have a 50% utilization then your score is going to be pulled lower than if you had, you know, a 0%. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And so where that would affect you later down the road is if you're going to get a mortgage and there are two people, one person has a score of 600 and another person has a score of 820, Mm -hmm. the bank or whatever loan officer, they're going to give the better rates to the person with the 820. Mm -hmm versus the person with the 600. Yep. So just think of the bigger scale when it comes to um, your utilization Mm -hmm. and that balance that you have on there. Yeah. So that's been my understanding of it as well. And, you know, we can definitely talk more about it if you guys want to learn more because Laura knows a lot about this and I always like to learn. But if you want something that's like, you know, a good quick like 10-15 minute episode um Patricia Bright on her platform The Break she's done some great episodes that cover credit utilization and like I've learned so much from her so definitely check that out but we'll definitely do an episode on it if you want as well yeah Patricia is fantastic and I think I've watched that video where she's talking about credit scores like even though she's from London she really does break it down in a great way Mm -hmm. 
that makes it simple for for really anyone to understand. Yes. So love Patricia. And I love that we finally have an episode where we can shout her out. <laughs> oh, she is a boss. She really she is. She is just an absolute boss. She amazes me every day. Do you have more that you want to say on credit cards or shall we keep going? Let's keep going. Hit me with your second point. All right. So my next one is that buying expensive once is better than buying cheap multiple times. So for me, this ties into clothing, furniture, even flights, if you like to travel. But let's use clothes as an example. Do you know those online stores where you can get 12 items of clothing for like 100 bucks? Yep, definitely shopped at those ones in the past. When I was working in the entertainment industry, I definitely fell into that trap a bit just because entertainment industry, you're maybe not making a great salary. It is what it is. But I was in this space where I needed summer clothes. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I don't love that I'm like giving money to fast fashion, but I need some summer stuff. You know, I did one order and I was like, okay, good, good. But then it becomes so accessible where I'm like, huh. I have like $100 left over. Why don't I just do another one? Yeah, or it's just like, oh, I had a summer wardrobe. Now I need a fall wardrobe. Exactly. And let me tell you, like, this was last summer. And I have maybe two items that I bought that I have worn this summer because everything else is either one fallen apart or completely out of style or I didn't even wear it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely been guilty of that, especially when I was in school. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you, you know, small budget, but then you also wanted to be trendy and, you know, current on everything going on. And I can honestly say I don't own a single piece of that clothing. And we're not even going back that many years where, you know, I have other clothes that are high quality and Mm -hmm. I've had them for about 15 years. Yeah, I've purchased items that you know, they're more on the pricey scale where, you know, maybe when you go shopping, you can maybe get three things. But when you spend that extra money on those classic pieces, if you can afford to, like that, that's a main caveat here as well. But so many of those more expensive items that are built better and just better quality in general, you can create 10 outfits where that little trendy shirt that you got online, you can make one outfit out of because it doesn't go with any of your other clothes. So the cost per use has so much more value than just buying that shirt that is probably going to fall apart in the washing machine. Yeah. And the point is you're trying to build your staple wardrobe over time. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to have a complete wardrobe in one shopping spree. Yeah. Unless you have those kinds of funds, then, you know, all the power to you. I certainly don't. (laughs) I, no, but I was watching a YouTube video a couple weeks ago. Do you watch The Financial Diet? I do sometimes. I find their videos are getting super long now. Yes. Um, Yes. I think as a podcast, I'd probably listen to them, but like as a video, I just don't watch things that long. But yes, I do love The Financial Diet with Chelsea and I've been watching them for, for many years now. I recently started watching like some of her older videos and one point that like really stuck out to me because you know you and I are such big travelers was her point of like just because on a flight you're saving you know a hundred dollars by having multiple layovers or you have to drive an hour to the airport that you're flying out of sometimes the benefit of that does not outweigh the cost 
because it's either costing you a significant amount of time or it's just costing you more money because then you have to worry about transportation to get to that airport that's an hour away. So I also thought that that was a really good point that we could tie into this as well. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think that's a really important thing to bring up because when we talk about expenses, you know, dollars are what come to mind, but time is also a currency and you need to put a value on your time for how long things take. So I think that's absolutely applicable for this point. Mm -hmm. So now I would rather spend a bit more money or I like going to like winners where the style is a bit older or something. So you get a bit of a discounted price on it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, who cares if you're wearing the latest fashion? The important thing is you're comfortable and you're dressed appropriately for what you're doing. Precisely. So can you lead us in to point number three? Yes. And this is one of my favorite things, investing. Can confirm it's one of her favorite things. Yeah. Can confirm. <laughs> yep. I have to find new friends to talk about this with because all my friends are sick of me talking about it. I mean, I like listening to it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Just wait till next week. She'll be like, oh, Laura, shut the fuck up about investing. Oh, God. Once I start editing this, I'll just be like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's even following us into our passion ventures. Yes. <laughs> Um, so yes, I'm a huge fan of investing and I don't care what age you are, you should be looking at investments. And the number one question people ask me is how much do I need to start with? And honestly, it doesn't matter. I think people get stuck in their heads that they need a thousand dollars. They need $2,000, $5,000, $10,000, whatever. The thing is, it doesn't matter. Just start. And there's a lot of great platforms out there right now. Like we really are living in a golden age for the amateur investor to get their toes wet and play around. Mm -hmm. If I can offer a little bit of, of advice, if you are in Canada, please start using your tax-free savings account. That way you don't have to pay yes. any tax, which is very important. You want to max that out before you start venturing into open accounts that are susceptible to capital gains tax. So just important point there is step number one. The next thing is, mm -hmm. if you want to keep it really simple, most banks have trading platforms that are self-directed. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. can be a little bit overwhelming, but really, if you just take your time, watch some tutorials, watch some videos on YouTube, it's not that daunting. You just kind of get used to how their platforms work and what you should start with. There are also lots of other great platforms like uh, Wealthsimple, and mm -hmm. like if we have any American listeners, there's Robinhood out there. Please just steer away from Robinhood. They've been in the press a lot this year, and I just don't really trust them. Of course, I'm not a financial advisor, but I'm just kind of throwing my red flag out there. They've done some shady shit mm -hmm. to the people who they're trying to help. So, you know, if I lived in the States, I just probably wouldn't use them. Yes. So get yourself set up on a platform and learn how to use it. And yes. of course... In the world of investing, there are millions upon millions of different stocks and things that you can buy. It's really overwhelming. So, mm -hmm. you know, never feel like an idiot when it comes to this because there is just so much and a lot of it overlaps. So one thing that you should really start with if you're new is ETFs. And what an ETF is, is it's an index fund 
So instead of Mm -hmm. buying one company such as Tesla, Mm -hmm. you're buying a basket. So S&P 500, one of the largest indexes in the world, is a great one to start with. And Mm -hmm. that is going to own companies, you know, uh, Coca-Cola, Apple, Samsung, everything. There's going to be 500 companies in there. Mm -hmm. And really what that's buying you is a little bit of diversity and lower risk. Mm -hmm. So mm-hmm. if, you know, Tesla ever went under and you owned all Tesla, well, too bad for you, you might lose your investment, where mm-hmm. if you own the S&P 500, your risk is really diversified. Mm-hmm. So you are going to just follow the market trend. And that's what's really mm-hmm. important is don't try and beat the market, okay? Don't go out there being a superstar. Just try and match the market. And that's what these ETFs do. That ties into the question that I wanted to ask you on this was if you can speak a bit to the importance of diversification and asset allocation. Yes. So most of our listeners are probably, you know, in their 20s, if not early 30s. And when you are younger, you have the greatest gift on your side, and that is time. Okay. So, you know, your parents, they're getting older, they're getting closer to retirement, they need things that are less risky. You, on the other hand, as a, you know, Rachel, you're 24, 25? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I turned 25 in three months. All right, so you're I still got 25. some time. I still okay. got some time. Yeah. So you are new in your career. You don't have too many liabilities yet, like a house or big, huge loans. And you have lots of time before you're going to retire. So Mm -hmm. you are able to have something what is called like a little bit more of an equity heavy portfolio. Mm -hmm. So you can own the ETFs, you can own the stocks and something, you know, a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with being thrown around are bonds and bonds are what we call fixed income. And they are really the least risky along with treasury bills. However, on the other hand, Mm -hmm. there's very low gain. Yes. So that's where I really support ETFs because year over year, the market typically returns about 8%, which is pretty good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on your income. So if you're compounding 8% every year for 40 years because you're young, you know, you're know you going to have a very sizable portfolio by the time you're ready to retire. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, mm-hmm. as you have children, you buy a house, you have more liabilities, that is where you would buy more bonds and kind of change that percentage a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the closer you get to retirement, you're going to have to be drawing on those funds. So that's when you would almost switch to a heavy fixed income portfolio. Does that answer your question? It does. One good tip too that like I think we need to bring up, especially when you have a diversified portfolio, just ride the wave of the markets because it's going to go up and it's going to go down. Don't buy into the panic. Don't buy into the hype. Just, it's all good. Yes. It's all good. Now, I don't want to travel too far down the road, but what you're essentially talking about is dollar cost averaging. And I have no idea what that means. (laughs) (laughs) This is how the episode becomes two hours long. Laura starts talking. Yes. Finding things. Um, It's like we both went to business school, but one of us is more on like the planning side and the other is like investing. (laughs) (laughs) Hardcore. Okay. I'm going to break it down. The technical term, yes, is dollar cost averaging. But how you would activate that in your daily life is let's say you are contributing $100 to your investment portfolio every month. Mm -hmm. And 
whatever the market is doing, you are buying the S&P 500 ETF. Okay. Whether it's up or it's down, who cares? You are buying $100 worth of it. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen over time is you are going to, you know, sometimes buy when it's high and sometimes buy when it's low. But over Mm -hmm. a long span of, you know, 20, 30 years, you're going to get an average cost, which is going to still give you a very good return. Yes, that is my understanding of it. I didn't know the actual name for it. So there you go. (laughs) There we go. Mm -hmm. We were chatting about it a bit before the episode, but I love it where it's like we kind of have this like tennis game going where one is more of like a, okay, this is a example that you can use tomorrow when you're making a purchase. And then the other is like technical facts. (laughs) We're here for everyone. You know what? There needs to be a combination because I think Sometimes I feel like, especially as a young person, platforms that you see, it's usually one of them's like all about saving and how do you deal with the money that's in your pocket right now? Or the other one is like, don't spend any money at all and invest all of it. It's hard to find platforms where they have a balance. It's so crazy because everything goes in trends where a lot of people will be like, you know, just like you said, you know, okay, invest everything in crypto, you know, don't save a dollar because we're all going to be rich on crypto. Don't do that. Please don't. Don't, don't (laughs) I have crypto, but don't do that. You know, my entire portfolio is not crypto. That would just be dumb. But with that, you know, it's so hard to find the right thing to do. And I think that's Mm -hmm. why so many people our age just stick with your basic savings account that they opened when they were 10 and it earns, you know, 0.01% annually. And really what that's doing is year over year, you're actually losing money because of this wonderful thing called inflation that is about 2% a year. So it's actually devaluing any money that you have in there. But the messages are just so confusing out there that I don't blame people for sticking to the savings account because at least you know exactly where your money is and you know how much is in there. And if you are really nervous about getting out in the investing world, you know, I have friends who I've kind of helped branch out there, but even talking about self-directed investing totally freaks them out. There are solutions, you know, you can go to a financial advisor who will help you. Um, Mm -hmm. Your bank is normally the first place where you go. I'm just going to throw some cautionary up here because the banks are businesses. They're in the business to make money off of you. You know, I've already talked about it with the credit cards. They want you to be a great client, not a deadbeat client. And I have a personal experience with a friend who wanted to invest money. And so of course the bank had her buy their mutual fund, which Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with mutual funds. However, the return on it, pretty poor. I think she was getting like two, 3%. And it had a bunch of fees associated with it too. So the Mm -hmm. bank loved it. You know, they were making a great return off of her. But for her, you know, a sizable investment, she made a fraction over, I think, like eight years of what I had made in three, doing my own thing, just literally in ETFs. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm just like not a fan of the banks. Um, yeah. They don't give a fuck about you. FYI, they don't give a fuck. So this is why you need to do your own research and look after yourself. So if you do mm-hmm. need help with investing, um, that's where I would go down the road of like, Wealth Simple, where I think they have like a pre-programmed strategy for you or, mm-hmm. you know, reaching out to a financial advisor if that is in your budget. Yeah. And I was just about to touch on that point as well, where it's like when you're going through the banks, like you said, they want to sell you their bank products. 
when you go through an independent advisor or something like Well Simple, it is true diversification where it's like you got some money in this fund, you got some money here, you got some money there. As opposed to, yes, you might be touching on, you know, maybe one fund is more fixed income, the other is all foreign equity based or small business equity through the bank. But it's really just all still within that one umbrella, you know? No, you're exactly right. I just feel that if people branch out and do a little bit of their own research, so -hmm. much of this they can do on their own. Like for the average person, it's very doable. Now, if you have Mm -hmm. millions of dollars, that's a whole different situation and you need a professional to help you. Mm -hmm. But if you're just starting out, experiment with it. You're young. Mm -hmm. There's, There's no harm in playing around. Nope. And any mentors that I've had in this realm have always pushed the notion that even if you have an advisor helping you, educate yourself. Like if you're in a meeting with an advisor, really try to understand what they're doing and what they're advising you to invest in. Yes. Oh, that is key advice. And I think an important question to ask them is where are they making their money? Um, Yes. Are they making a commission? Because there are a lot of people, they might not work for the bank, yet they might be incentivized to sell a bank product. Mm -hmm. And I'm really loving the financial advisors who are fee-only based. So you would just pay them like a monthly fee and they don't get any commission from the investments they're trying to sell. Those are definitely my top pick if you do want to work with someone. But yeah, you know, you have to look after your own money. So don't be afraid to ask questions. And if you're not comfortable or you don't understand, don't feel pressured to do it because I think so many people, they go into these meetings with, you know, these professional advisors and they just feel intimidated. So they think they should say yes because they don't want to come off as being stupid. And you're not stupid. All you have to do is just learn a little bit and you can be doing exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And honestly, when you go into those meetings, just think as well. And this is how I felt when I was in business school for finances. It's really all not that complicated. Just the wording and how things are explained has been overcomplicated to a point where it makes people who, you know, aren't in that world feel like they can't do it. But you can. It's just you have to take those more complicated descriptions and bring it down to a level where you're like the basic what is actually happening here. Oh, yeah. Like if we were properly taught financial literacy as kids and in school, we would Mm -hmm. have no need for like 90% of the financial jobs out there because we would know enough to to do it ourselves, Mm -hmm. which is a really sad fact. Yeah. Like if our listeners want, we can do like a whole episode on this. Oh, yeah. Like please, if you want more investing or if you want to talk crypto, like we are more than happy to talk about that. But Rachel, Mm -hmm. how about you hit me with – are we on point number four? (laughs) We're on point number four, yes. Okay, go for it. Okay. Yes. So point number four is while you might be able to afford a purchase – Ask yourself, does that align with your future financial goals? That is a good one. Yeah. This one has been a difficult one for me to learn. Not to learn because I've always kind of held this value, but especially when, you know, you just want to buy yourself something nice and you are like, huh, nice jacket. Maybe I'll get that. But I find sometimes, especially when it's like a future goal, like, say six months out, right? Where it's not immediately there. It's more of an idea, the amount of money that you're going to need for that thing. 
So say you get paid and you know, you're on a Friday night just perusing some online stores, whatever, or you're wandering around the mall, wandering around the streets and you just see something where you're like, oh, that's really cute. But it's like $300 kind of thing. A lesson that I had to learn when I was looking at those items was to be like, okay, yes, this is great. But when I look at what's happening in my life right now, am I going to get more future value out of saving this $300 for my future goal of buying some furniture or spending it right now on this jacket that I might forget about? So that's one way to look at it when you see something that you might want to purchase thinking about, okay, but what's coming up in my future? But another thing is aligning, just say you don't have a future goal at all, but you have certain things that you value. So you value travel or you value a community and you value fitness. So you want to channel more money to going on trips or you want to pay for a yoga membership. It's more thinking about, okay, do I want to channel these funds elsewhere? There might not be an immediate goal, but will there be immediate goal that I need this money for at some point? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, I think that's definitely a great point. And then just to add a bit of concrete practicality to it, you know, you said you're saving up for some furniture and say you're going to buy it in a few months Mm -hmm. and you know it's going to be like $500. Well, what you can do with that information is you can work backwards from that date that you want to go on that trip or purchase that couch and figure out how much do you need to save every month or every week or every paycheck. Mm -hmm. So just trying to add a little bit of a base to that to match your goals with the reality of where you are today. Yeah. So it's a very hard one, especially when you are younger and you're still kind of in that immediate gratification mindset. Yeah. And it really is hard to make that transition because, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're young, you have less responsibility. So you actually Mm -hmm. have more finances, you know, really should be saving and investing. But Mm -hmm. technically, you have more uh, free cash to be able to instantly gratify yourself where, you know, as you say, you know, you move, you want to do more things in life. There are opportunity costs to that. And that does mean, you know, maybe you don't go out with your friends every Friday night. Maybe you don't go shopping once a month. You know, you back that off to every six months, whatever Mm -hmm. works for your budget. So yeah, it's just getting in that mindset that you need to plan ahead. Yes. And it's not necessarily like don't buy that thing. That's not what we're saying. But just take a step back and think more on it to be like, okay, does this align with my financial goal? Yes or no. But then sometimes you just want to buy yourself a nice thing and that's totally okay too. But it's just the recommendation to take some more time to think about it. Yes. And you know, don't treat yourself all day every day. Yes. A helpful tip that I have definitely found to be very effective for me and maybe it's been effective for you too is just like not saving your credit card to websites that you frequent. For me, it's Aerie. I love Aerie. Oh, and Sephora as well. Because then there's another step that is required where you have to get up, walk downstairs if you're upstairs, grab your credit card, come back, and then make the purchase. Where like when it's just that accessible where you could just say, purchase because your card's already there you don't really think about it you know and then even extending off of that where especially if it's a bigger purchase I've done it a lot where if I you know maybe didn't have the money at the time or it would have put me in a bit of a difficult spot I was like okay well I'm just gonna go home 
And if I still want it in a week or I still want it by next pay period, then go back and get it. Because then there's thought, right? As opposed to just like, oh, pretty. And I went shopping today, so I have to come home with something. Exactly. It's kind of like at the grocery store, you have all the chocolate bars right at the checkout. Yes. Those are the, uh, you know, last minute purchases and having your credit card there or, you know, not taking time to think about it. That's when you make those fast grabs into your cart and then you're spending money that you're not even realizing that you're spending. Yeah. Or you just like throw your cart around and you're just like 300 bucks, nothing. And then two days later, you're like, that was actually a lot. I could have used that. I could have used that. It's amazing how those little things were like, you know, little $20 purchases or $10 purchases, they add up very quickly. And they do. And just something to keep in mind. Yes. So off to point number five. Please take us home. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So this point is really going to wrap up everything that we talked about on this episode. And that is everything is fixable when it comes to money, okay? I think there's so much emotion wrapped up around finances that it really can control your life. I know I've been at a point where I have really devalued my self-worth because I thought my finances, you know, weren't where they should be in reference to my peers. And the thing is, they're just numbers, okay? They're numbers on a page. They don't define you. If you are someone who is struggling with credit card debt, or you have like $100,000 in student loans, or you've even declared bankruptcy, all of these things are fixable. They just take time. So don't get discouraged. You know, find a mentor, um, find people who hold you accountable, whatever you need to help get yourself turned around. And Mm -hmm. yeah, like you just have to find your path on how to do it. And one day, you know, you will achieve financial freedom and live just a happy life where you don't have to think so hard about money because it's just coming to you naturally and you know how to handle it. That's a great final point. I think I'm going to leave it there on that point. Unless, do you have anything to add to that? Um, Maybe this could be like an extra episode where we could talk a bit on financial anxiety. I could definitely talk on financial anxiety. I still suffer from it. And like... I am yes. by no means perfect with my money. I still make stupid mistakes. I'm still, you know, not in a place where I want to be with my money. Mm-hmm. But I've kind of found ways to shoot that doubt down so I don't let the anxiety of that, you know, rule my life. Do you have any last parting tips for our lovely listeners? My two parting thoughts are reiterating that uh, banks don't give a fuck about you. And strive to be a deadbeat customer. Yep. And remember that anyone that is working in the financial industry has to make money somehow. So if you are working with an advisor, it is appropriate for you to ask them how they are getting paid for their services. Like, is it a commission? Is it just a flat management fee? You have the right to know how they are charging for their services. So don't be afraid to ask. And on that as well, when you're in those meetings, don't be afraid to ask them any questions that you have because in a way they are there to teach you. That's their whole job. That is their whole job. So yes. And if they don't want to teach you, find someone new. Yes. Because as we talked about in our natural health episode, 
your financial team, like your health team, you have to get along with them and they have to get along with you for it to be a healthy, ongoing relationship. That's the tea, sis. That is the tea, sis. But yes, please leave us a review, maybe some stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and connect with us on the Discord chat. Until next time, live like tea. Live like tea.